0: Hello, and welcome to the Mortgage Insider podcast from Barclays. I'm Claire McPhail, a business development manager for Barclays in the Southeast.
1: And I'm Tony Rimmer. I'm also a business development manager covering the Northwest. And between us, Claire and I have more than 50 years' experience in the mortgage broking industry.
0: But this is one of the most unusual years we've ever experienced. At the beginning of the year, certainly the companies I looked after were talking about how well they were doing against their forecasts then covid hit in march and the housing market pretty much came to a standstill things were put in place to help interest rates were at record lows and the government cut the stamp duty but tony certainly things don't seem back to normal do they
1: well that's right claire brokers are facing a lot of uncertainty in the marketplace at the moment they're busy than ever with the number of inquiries that they're receiving from their customers and I think struggling in some ways to adapt to the changes that the marketplace has thrust upon them. So, in order to try and put this into some kind of context, in this episode we'll hear from Will Hobbs, and Will's the Chief Investment Officer for Barclays, and he'll talk us through the outlook for the UK economy and outline some of these challenges that we've just talked about and that's currently facing the housing market.
0: Hi Will, welcome and thank you for joining us today.
1: Hi Claire. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> yes, thank you, Will. Appreciate your your time. I'm going to jump into the deep end if that's okay, Will, to start off with with a view of the current economic outlook. How bad is it and how long do you think it will last? <laughs> big questions,
2: Tony. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, I'm not going to find those easy to answer. But um, I mean, I guess the thing that we're seeing, and this is what sort of, you know, all of us are seeing in the newspapers, is that the statistics um, on this kind of recession that we're in are really jaw-dropping. Um, there's no doubt about it. You know, you have to go back to the Great Depression of the 1920s in the UK to see anything that's even comparable. Uh, and even then, there was a kind of 12% bite taken out of UK output in the third quarter of 1921 that's dwarfed by what we saw in the first uh, in the first half, in the second quarter of this year. So just on statistics, it, it, it's record-breaking. However, there's a bit of a sort of narrative here, which is that if you think about recessions, the way we often describe them to clients, they're quite often misunderstood. But you can think of many post-war recessions in general as kind of like a uh, particularly mean headmaster or headmistress who comes along to uh, kind of punish bad behavior that you've maybe been getting away with and doing more of, uh, and get you back on the straight and narrow. And you can think of many recessions in that way. So think about the great financial crisis, for instance, you know, it took about a decade for the problems to build up in the US subprime housing sector. Um, And therefore, you know, when it came to the recovery, you had a huge stock of unwanted homes to kind of for the economy to chew through, you had a financial system to substantially, global financial system to substantially reorganize, all those kind of things. And that really weighed on the economy's ability to rapidly recover. But the problem this time, this time is totally different. So a pandemic has come along out of the blue and what the governments and of authorities around the world have done have sort of put large chunks of the economy uh, into a kind of suspended animation uh, in order to facilitate the fight against the virus. So yes, you know, the statistics are awful, but that's also informing the pace of the recovery. So the, you know, the second quarter is one of the record-breaking declines, but the third quarter is already seeing one of the fastest ever rises.
0: It's really interesting. And, your-
1: yeah, and I think in, in terms of that, I think, When you look at it and you compare it to what has happened in the past, if you think about um, where we are now, how long do you think it will last? Do you think do you think this is going to take some time to come out of the other end?
2: Well, it depends. I mean, that you know, Tony, there's things to be concerned about, for sure. Um, But a lot of that is really informed by, um, you know, how quickly the kind of treatments and vaccine side um, evolve. Now, you know, already, you know, we can be thankful for living in the world that we live in today because the pace of vaccine development is, is breathtaking. Now, you know, there's never been global coordination no. in a race like it. I mean, it's, it's just amazing to think that, you know, usually you talk about vaccine development in terms of years, not months. Um, and already, you know, in several of the kind of frontline candidates were in kind of what called phase three trials um, with people plausibly suggesting you're going to have a widely available vaccine next year. So, so that's really important. That's a first point of context. The other thing that's really interesting, I think, in this in this world is that, what we're finding is that policymakers, and by that I mean sort of central bankers, governments, they've learned from history. And so often you know crises are made worse, recessions are made worse by the kind of crime of inaction. Um, so people don't know what to do, they just stand back and don't do anything. This time has not, that has not been the case. So central banks and governments have been pulling hard on levers that it took kind of months to get round to pulling in previous recessions, and that also is very, very important in informing what you think about um, about the recovery. But on the flip side, you know, I, you know, I don't want to be too glass half full about it. You know, there are there are troubles under the surface. There are real problems we need to address. Um, you know, particularly with regards to the unemployment picture. You know, the, the the worry is that the furlough scheme is kind of disguising
0: all sorts yeah. of things
2: going on underneath the bonnet there. And 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 we're going to find out later in the year just you know the the employment picture in a little bit more detail
0: thanks well can we look specifically now at the housing market so if we rewind to the beginning of this year i know certainly from many of the companies that i was looking after that their forecasts were going well business was booming and all looking rather rosy and then of course this pandemic hit so could you just recap on what was going on before this started
2: yeah, Claire. I mean, it's interesting. We've, we've taken a number of sort of in-depth looks at the housing market over the last um, few years, um, colleagues in my team um, who sort of uh, much more expert in this subject than I am. But they were, you know, looking at um, the last couple of decades, taking it back a bit, you know, the house prices over the last couple of decades have really been extraordinary. Um, in the context of kind of longer history. So there's a book by a guy called Neil Munnery. I think it's called Safest Houses. And he's taken a much, much longer look at um, the evolution of prices over lots of different economies, over you know many, many um Uh, decades. Um, And his sort of suggestion is that over time, uh, you tend to find that house prices, you know, tend to grow in inflation adjusted terms by about 1% um, per annum. Uh, That seems to be the normal experience. So the last couple of decades in the UK is really quite exceptional. And there's kind of supply and demand factors there. I mean, broadly speaking, you know, You've found that you know growing wealth and access to uh, mortgages and consumers getting more comfortable with debt um, and those kind of things has facilitated the demand side of things, but supply has been slow to catch up. Now, our expectation coming into this year and actually through the last couple of years would be that we'd see a slower pace of house price rises going yeah. forward, something more moderate, um, consistent with history, um, and that still remains the expectation. But I think you can, you know, it's a hugely, as you guys know, much better than I do. The regional story. There's huge variation, um, yeah. you know, depending on whether you're London. You know, affordability levels are, are totally different whether whether where you look in the, around the country. But that's the overall aggregate picture, I guess.
0: Thanks.
1: Okay, I think looking looking at it and taking it um, to to the sort of next stage. I think if we look at the actual pandemic, could you give us a flavour, Will, of uh, what happened during the pandemic? That the housing market didn't quite grind to a halt. It nearly did, uh, I, I think a lot of businesses closed down, but how did lockdown impact it? And what ha- what's happened now most of those restrictions have been eased?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I mean, so I mean, Tony, what we saw was that in April, you know, the house price, you know, house market, housing, housing market, housing transactions, um, you know, plunged, unsurprisingly, um, and so much so you found that actually the Office of National Statistics, um, something which, you know, the boring people like my, myself cling closely <laughs> to. Uh, we have a sad, tragic life, all of us, honestly. But, but, but we found that they didn't even have enough transactions to come up with plausible price statistics. So, we, you know, that's how sort of slow it got. But what we've seen since is, is a very, very sharp recovery. And you can view that through, uh, you know, a number of statistics that we've seen. And we saw the house price data come out very recently. Um, and that's all pointing to the idea that you found transactions recover quite sharply um, since then.
0: And so for you, how there is lots of information at the moment about how this bubble is around, really, of what's going on at the minute with houses selling so quickly. But how do you think things stand right now?
2: Yes, I mean, I think it's difficult to say There's there's all sorts of stuff going on, isn't there? And I think, you know, there's a lot of anecdotal data um, I've seen about this kind of migration to the countryside. And certainly, you know, some people are pointing out with the house price data we saw recently that, the house price raise, rises are not evenly spread. So you're seeing kind of countryside and uh, seaside areas seeing particularly sharp appreciation relative to other parts of uh, the country. One bad bed flats don't seem to be popular judging by the price uh, you know evolution themselves. So, you know, there's some demand coming back um, and there are some sort of, there seem to be some lifestyle changes being influential on this front. Yeah. But it's hard to say how permanent that is. Um, yes. And, you know, and I, you know, like I say, there are worries ahead for the economy. You know, as we go into the end of the year and we find out a bit more about that labor market situation. Um, that's going to be quite important in determining what we think about um, you know, house prices and how they go, how they go from there. And the other thing to think about, and this is just something sort of as an aside, we can talk about this more later, but mm. you know, the interesting thing that we've seen in this crisis is that by necessity, and this is part of that move to the countryside that we're seeing, but by necessity, you know, companies and, um, you know, have, have tried to stay in touch with their customers and their colleagues, you know, their employees, um, have had to take a kind of digital leap forward so we've had this kind of industrial revolution now or part of it now with every industrial revolution comes you know a change in the nature of jobs available the labor force is asked to you know submit to significant disruption so that 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 again creates a little bit of uncertainty it's not all negative because with that comes progress and growth and um you know but, but it's uncertainty i think that's the that's the thing to kind of get across
1: Thank you, Will. I think one one of the things I'm hearing from the brokers that I deal with on a daily basis is that they are busier than ever, but incredibly stressed. And with with that comes quite a bit of emotion um, uh, on that day-to-day basis. They are struggling with the limited range of loans available, especially at the higher LTV bracket and, and the fast changes to the market that's taking place. I just wondered for a minute if you could talk us through some of those factors that are causing so much activity in the market so many of the changes um, you, you know perhaps linking in again to the strong rebound easing of lockdown and just what your thoughts are around that um, that, that, that sort of dynamic with the broker population. Uh,
2: yes Tony I mean there's loads um, there's loads in there and there's loads of factors to consider I think I mean You know, one of the things um, that the Bank of England have been pointing out is that they are seeing um, a little bit of risk aversion, understandable risk aversion amongst lenders uh, reflected in the types of loans that have been made available. Um, So if we look at kind of, um, and again, this is Bank of England pointing this out uh, in their monetary policy report, another of my favourites, tragically, but uh, you can see what kind of life uh, I lead. But what they were saying is that, you know, if you look at variable rate, uh mortgages since kind of since the beginning of the crisis you know the average available rate has dropped about 70 basis points and you know material, I guess, but but not, probably not a game changer in terms of demand for loans. But actually what you're seeing in terms of the fixed rate side is, um, you know, no change in reality so far in terms of what's available. Uh, and actually in terms of some of the higher loan to value um, areas, you're seeing actually rates go up a little bit. So, you know, it, it's probably not that side that's stimulating, it's not the sort of the price in a sense that's, that's stimulating that extra demand. Like I say, I think there is some stuff to do with lifestyle changes. Um, But that's for a relatively select part of the population, I would suggest, but there are definitely, you know, there are those who are feeling that, you know, because many um, businesses have now got more comfortable with the idea that they don't need all of their employees uh, in a large, you know, tower block, more comfortable than they were previously. That has created a slightly more, uh, slightly more flexibility for employees to explore other other areas to live. Now, again, you know how long that lasts for. I'm not sure. Um, but then you sort of you put that against the idea that actually, you know, if if there is, you know, an early resolution, you know, this is a you know your upside scenario. If there is an early vaccine, and you know that the amount of what they call scarring to the economy is relatively minimal then, you know, people will be right to sort of think, you know, more positively about the future and, you know, that that, that confidence will be paid back. There are darker scenarios, you know, like I say, we've pointed out, you know, there are risks here, Um, but it's certainly not, I mean, it's certainly not totally without foundation that we've seen a sharp rise, a recovery in sort of housing transactions, in my opinion, anyway.
0: So certainly on many of the brokers that I'm speaking to, they're really concerned about the challenges into the fourth quarter. Um, And part of the reasons that they are so stressed and emotional is that they're not sure what the future holds and they feel a little bit like this mortgage that they're doing might be their last. So they're kind of squirrelling this business away because they don't really know where the business is going to be in the future. So can you just sort of talk a little bit to me, about how you think things are going to look. We've got furlough scheme ending in October. We've got mortgage holidays ending, and and again, I read something in a report this morning saying that out of ten, six of those may struggle to pay their mortgage going forward. So, what's your thought upon this?
2: Yeah, Claire. I mean, I, I think it's never it's never hard to come up with a list of things that can go wrong. um You know, I think we're instinctively we're biased that way, aren't we? And, I, and I, if you look, you know, we've got um, the kids going back to school, thank the good Lord. Yeah, I, I swear I'm going to throw them like a javelin over the, <laughs> over the school fence. <laughs> Yes, I mean, I think you know we've got back to school, and uh, and you know there are worries that you could see you know as that comes into kind of flu season, traditional flu season, there are worries that you get a sort of you know a second major wave of the virus, and that uh, that coincides with you know traditional flu season, and you get you know clogged up healthcare facilities again, and uh, and and you put that on top of you know. The furlough scheme being tapered away, uh, and what we're going to find under the cover of that furlough scheme in the labour market when that does happen, um, and, you know, those are all significant concerns. Um, there's no doubt about it. And I think, you know, and then as you get into the end of the year, people are worried about, you know, the evolution of Brexit talks. Um, will there be, a, you know, a deal, or is there going to be, um, you know, an exit without a deal, or what does that mean for the economy? So, so yes, I mean, you know, it's not hard to, to list off the uncertain stuff.
1: Well, Will, you've, you've given us quite a lot to think about there, but we don't want to end on a, on a negative note. Could you give us something positive to look forward to? Tony, always,
2: always, back to school.
1: Yeah, back to school. Back
2: to school, so peace and quiet. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think, no, I mean, I think the important point here, Tony and and Clara, I think, you know, this is where I try to think about it. There's no need for you to follow my lead here, but (laughs) I I think um, it's important to remember, and this is not necessarily an an immediately reassuring point, but risk, when we view the future, you know, risk is like an iceberg. Um, You tend to sort of focus on the stuff that you think you can see. So, So my profession you know, everyone produces these beginning of the year reports, uh, and they look at the risks in the year ahead. Now, invariably, there is stuff stuff that is already in the calendar. Uh, So it's always kind of, you know, various elections or Brexit negotiations or whatever. It's stuff that people think they can see. Now, they focus almost entirely on the risk they think they can see, but obviously, we can't focus on the stuff that we can't see, the potholes that lie in the road ahead that just we don't know about yet. Um, and, and, And the point is that, that risk, that iceberg risk. There's just a huge chunk underwater which we don't see until it hits us. This crisis is a is a great um, you know a great example in a way um, of something that wasn't predicted. I mean, it was it was predicted, but not the timing of it. And and so you know it, it's a good example. But the, the the reassuring point, and I am getting to the reassuring point, is that you know <laughs> the past tells us that risk is not just bad. Bad things. Uh, you know the future is full of likely good things and bad things. Things can go wrong and right, um, and you know on the right-hand side of things, on the or, or the things that could go right, you know, you could find uh, much earlier than uh, expected vaccine approvals, successful vaccines, successful treatments. There's a number of things in the pipeline which we're going to hear about in the next couple of months, um, which could go right or wrong in terms of the sort of tests that we're hearing about. Um, and and yeah, it's just that you know I think and, and taking a much longer perspective, if you want to be a little bit more. Uh, optimistic, uh, and take a step back. Remember that the history of our species teaches us that we are incredibly adaptable, endlessly innovative, and it has always been a terrible bet uh, to bet against us. Uh, the last couple of hundred years in particular showcase that, that the, the evolution of living standards, life expectancy, infant mortality, everything you can think of. Uh, it's all documented very well by a number of people. Hans Rosling, Steven Pinker, these guys, um, they show that you don't want to bet against us. You know, we'll find a way. We tend to normally find a way uh, to get around the problems that are faced. us. So don't get too bleak, I think. Uh, take a longer term perspective and remember that we're, we're hard to bet against. I think that what nicely. A great note s-
0: to end yeah, on. Yeah, nicely sums it up, Will. Thank you. No problem at all. No problem at all. Thank you for having me yes.
1: on. Thanks, Will. That was Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer for Barclays, and that was the first episode of Mortgage Insider.
0: In future episodes, we'll discuss the challenges created by COVID nineteen and examine how brokers can navigate a fast-changing industry.
1: So, if you have a question and you'd like us to ask the experts then please email us at mortgageinsider at acast.com.
0: And please do subscribe through your usual podcast app so you don't miss an episode. I'm Claire McPhail.
1: And I'm Tony Rimmer.
0: Thank you for listening.